and welcome everyone to WKIF Wrestling Network. Before we get started, I know that sharp-eared listeners will note that last week we did not refer to ourselves as the WKIF Wrestling Network on this show. Uh, we had referred to it as a different name that sounded very close to the name of another wrestling podcast that I only learned existed after we finished recording. So from here on out, we are the WKIF Wrestling Network. Um, my name is Max, longtime wrestling fan. Just want to talk, get on the mic and talk about wrestling with people that don't know wrestling. And with me is the man of the hour, the man with the power, too sweet to be sour, Woo! Craig Johnson. Hello, everyone, and uh, I will do the Boyd Pierce announcing, uh, nice. talking here about the WKIF Wrestling Network. Uh, <laughs> alongside me is Bill Watts, and uh, Bill, we've got a great card today. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I can't do Bill. I can do Bob, Bob Cottle. <laughs> <laughs> and our guest this week from ComicsVerse.com, Tim Stevens. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, so, do you have any uh, history with wrestling? You ever watched wrestling before? Uh, yeah, some. Um, as a kid, I had a friend who every birthday he'd do pay per view. Uh, I guess it must have been around WrestleMania's birthday, so we'd do the pay per view and sleep over. So for years, that was oh, fun. a tradition. But that was the only time every year that I'd watch it. Uh, and right. these days. Very rarely. Um, I actually have somebody I went to high school with who is the Mandarin language announcer for the WWE. So oh, wow. we'll occasionally catch some of the specials as support for him. But that's sort of it. I'm not a huge uh, wrestling guy. Right. That's um, very cool. But you are a comics guy. One I of am. the reasons I wanted to have you on this show because I also grew up loving comics. And that's actually... <clears throat> they kind of happened in my life concurrently. I think I was into wrestling first but mm -hmm. seventh and eighth grade was nothing but comics for me <laughs> you know it was um that was around the late 80s so uh, a lot of spider-man a lot of x-men nice. um and then i and uh then i fell into like the dc rabbit hole mm -hmm. so you know the justice league and superman and batman like the batman movie came out when i was 13 um, oh that's perfect yeah, exactly. Tim Burton made a Batman movie, and I was the exact audience for that. So, um, so uh, but I haven't really, like, in college I was into, like, some, um, like, Sandman, and mm -hmm. then, like... Um, Sandman uh, the Wrestler, or Sandman the Comic? The Comic. <laughs> um, I did like The Wrestler as well. Um, um and, like, I got into, like, Robert Crumb and stuff like that, but I haven't, like, regularly read comics in, well, probably 20 years, so I, I do, you know, I, I've watched the Marvel movies, and I do check in occasionally, I do read your website, um, so, but it's really interesting to me, it's, it's the reverse of, I'm checking in on this world that used to be my world, mm -hmm. and, you know, now I'm just occasionally peeking in on it you know my kids are into comics and stuff too so um nice. it's yeah so it's all through that um so well my relationship to comics is is only one and one person only and he's a wrestling uh a, a wrestling connection 
Okay. And his name is John Hitchcock, who is the owner of a uh, big comic book store down in, Gre- I think it's Greensboro, North Carolina. He was part of the famous front row section D that would show up at all the Greensboro Coliseum uh, events back in the old mid-Atlantic days. Oh, wow. And he uh, drew a comic of me uh, along with uh, Scott Hudson and Steve Prazak when we were known as the uh, nefarious fan group, the Atlanta Boys. So uh, nice. that's all the comic stuff I know. But John Hitchcock, uh, definitely a, a major wrestling fan and one of the one of the original smarks, I think you could say. Wow. Although he would probably slap the taste out of my mouth for saying that. <laughs> Him and Dave Meltzer. Um, but yeah, comics and, comic store. comics and wrestling, uh, typically, yeah, fans are very much into both. You get a lot of uh, yeah. crossover there. And it makes sense. You know, the, the soap opera of comics and the soap opera of wrestling are very similar. And then you've got the brightly colored costumes. And people either really are um, at least presenting as kicking the tar out of each other. So, you know, it makes sense right. that uh, sure. that people would like both. Yeah, it's good versus evil stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the same kind of brain that makes you super good at continuity in comics also makes you really good about keeping up on, oh, this guy was, uh, you know, this character in for this company, and now he is this character over at WWE, right. or vice versa. Yeah, yeah that's and, true. And, and that, would, that would assume that there is story continuity in wrestling. Right. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Although this particular wow. pay-per-view uh, had a lot of stories going into it, yeah. And was probably in the heyday of when storytelling uh, actually made sense in the WWE. Hmm. Yeah. I don't think we, we mentioned what pay-per-view it is. It's WrestleMania 19. Uh, I haven't seen it since it aired, so um, I had forgotten. I didn't remember anything about it. I had forgotten how good it was. Because um, 20, I think, is, is uh, and 17... 17 is always on the short... It's either 17 or 3 is always on the short list of best WrestleManias ever. Um, so I had forgotten, actually, how... I was surprised by how much I liked this one. And um, for me, it was the only WrestleMania that I ever attended in person at Safeco Field in Seattle, Washington, now known as oh. T-Mobile Park, uh, sitting right above the third base dugout, uh, the... Uh, the ring was actually at uh, approximately where second base would be on a baseball field, and they came in from uh, one of the bullpens uh, out in, I guess it would be left field. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing event, but the interesting part about it, because it is an 8 o'clock Eastern start, is it actually started in the daylight, Yeah, huh. which provided some of the more intriguing looks of audiences in uh, WWE <laughs> pay-per-view because they didn't have control of the light coming in right. uh, because uh, Safeco Field is still an outdoor facility even though it does have a roof. Sure. Uh, and I seem to remember it was a tad bit cool that day, but uh, pretty much perfect for uh, perfect WrestleMania weather indoors. Yeah, West Coast WrestleManias always look weird because it's still light out when the show starts at least. Um, the one that always sticks out to, in my mind is Nine. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is also always known as, like, the worst one, but... Um, <laughs> all right, so we start with uh, a little video package of sound bites of wrestlers talking about what WrestleMania means to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fun. Um, it... Hulk Hogan puts himself over. 
it's funny. You know, one of the things that you absolutely have to give the WWE consistent credit for is they have incredible editors. Their packages are just oh, yeah. amazing. Like the you know the recap or the catching you up on why these two are fighting things. They're just I mean, in some ways that's the for me the outsider. That was some of the best stuff because uh, it's just it's they're incredibly well done and you can appreciate it from a skill level if you know if from no other level. Um, and well, we'll get into more of the wrestling aspect of it, but yeah. that's something that I, I just I've noticed every time I've watched wrestling is that something that WWE does consistently well is the look yeah. and feel of those packages. And Tim, uh, as a as a television producer, which is what I ended up doing after being a wrestling announcer, uh, I can tell you that this was probably the golden age of those hmm. uh, when uh, they they had a relationship with Limp Biscuit for many years. Uh, I still think that the the we'll get into Limp Biscuit. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. but if you think about those songs at the that time, they told the story of what the WWE Attitude Era was all mm-hmm. about. Right. And there was one, and I want to, I don't know if it was, it was Rock Austin, I think the first time. Right. Where they uh, did My Way or the Highway, and it was the best preview of a wrestling match I had ever seen. And then they continued that tradition in this particular uh, production. Yeah. And those things... um, a lot of people don't realize uh, all the different effort that goes into that from a television production. You work off what's called melts, which is every camera recorded onto a separate uh, a separate channel. And back in these days, they were going off tapes. They weren't going off digital mm. like we do now. Right. Um, so to be able to, to get all that material together and, and feed those tapes into a... Uh, what would be an early non-linear system, an early Avid or maybe a Media 100, that took a lot of time, and they yeah. always did really mm. great work there. So, Timothy, I'm glad you or Tim, I'm glad you picked that out because that was something I was definitely going to mention. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. Even back when they were WWF, even way back when they started, WWFE's production always looked amazing. And I think that was always Vince, I mean, especially compared to other wrestling shows. And I think that was always Vince wanting to go, well, we don't want this to look like wrestling. You know, mm-hmm. it should be television. It should be spectacle. And um, coming to present yeah. day, you have to give AEW a lot of credit for oh, yeah. the storytelling that they're doing now. Because it's, uh, and I think it's the Tony Khan influence that it's very much sports oriented. And if yeah. you go back to a WrestleMania 19, it felt like a sporting event. And Jim, mm-hmm. Jim Ross will tell you that he loves calling sporting events. And this felt like one. It didn't feel like a wrestling show. It felt like a sporting event. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So, yes, we are in uh, Seattle, Washington. First, we're introduced to Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler. Jim Ross is wearing his John Wayne cufflinks, which apparently he only breaks out for WrestleMania. True. Um <laughs> His face looked terrible, by the way. Um, um, and they shoot over to Michael Cole and Taz, underrated announced team. I always thought they were good. Um, I liked the way they played with each other. I will agree uh, yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, and the first match is Rey Mysterio, dressed as who, Tim? Daredevil. Yes. <laughs> Which happens to be Keep my favorite mind, character, so I was very excited to see awesome. that. 
Oh, that's awesome. Keep in mind, this was in 2003 when the mainstream's reference to Daredevil was the terrible Affleck movie. <laughs> right. And actually, so, it would have been a month after, a month and like a week after Daredevil hit theaters. Yeah. Um, so Ray is clearly an actual comics fan. Uh, and he is going against Matt Hardy with Shannon Moore. I had Matt Hardy for- 1.0. Version 1.0. <laughs> I had completely forgotten Shannon Moore was ever existed. Um, <laughs> no, like, if you gave me an hour to name everybody that had been in WWE in 2003, I never would have come up with Shannon Moore. <laughs> where, where would Nathan Jones hit that? Right. <laughs> Nathan Jones, I would... Nathan Jones was such a bust that I would come up with him fairly quickly <laughs> because he was famous for mm-hmm. being such a bust. Um, yes, this is during the Matt, uh, Matt Hardy version 1.0 gimmick, which was an early precursor to the broken gimmick. Um, and, and, and uh, of course, Matt wonders how they ever did WrestleMania without I him. I love as that. That's his, his, his yeah. interesting fact. I love the fact there was pure America online. Yes. <laughs> Which if people saw today, they'd be going, what the heck is this? <laughs> You've <Yeah>. got mail. <laughs> Welcome. Oh, man, that, that was that was great. Um, and the funny thing in watching this is just understanding how good a worker Matt Hardy used to be. And oh, I yeah. will tell you, I didn't used to appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, he was always the lesser of the Hardy Boys for me, the fan guy. Um, And it was just, I appreciate him so much more now, having seen his creativity blossom, but he was a pretty damn good worker. Yeah, yeah, this is a a great match. Uh, Ray looks great, but, I mean, he always looks great. And Matt, Matt is amazing. Um, and I'd forgotten how good Matt was at playing the heel. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's a really good heel in this. Um, Taz makes a couple of weird homophobic jokes oh, during God. this match. I, I, I listed three uh, things that I just yeah. made me go. Uh. No. So the, the first one was I love latex, which is like, what the heck? <laughs> Taz, hello. <laughs> And then trying, I'm trying to figure out this whole teabagging thing, Cole. Yeah. Mm. And then wine me, dine me, six one. Six one oh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He also says something about they're they're drinking banana juice. Oh, they're giving each other BJ's. It's it's bad. It's... And this is You're... sort. Of, forgive me because I'm I'm not entirely sure this is true, but this feels like sort of the height of this kind of thing in the WWE. Like if I mean we'll talk about the rock more lately but like that was a huge yeah. part of his whole patter was you know yeah. uh emasculating and implying the um sort of less um less than straight uh aspects of other wrestlers and things like that so this is it feels like very of a piece where with where wrestlemania or where wwe was at this moment in time unfortunately this was this was about the time that wwe was kind of coming out of, oh, okay uh that time um but if the this, golden age if of this that was, was like if this was a coming out time right here i will yeah. tell you that as i look back on this show mm-hmm. now granted i'm a lot older now than i was then yeah but oh my god 
almost un until you got to the last three matches, almost every match that was called was so blatantly offensive. Mm. Yeah. I mean, even Jim Ross, uh, and, well, you know, Lawler, Lawler's Lawler. That's, yeah. that's his shtick. Right. But even He's some of the things that Jim Ross yeah. was saying, and you know, I'm I am one that, uh, and I've changed a lot over the years. But toxic masculinity just absolutely kills me. And to yeah. hear the things they were saying on this, I was like, really? <laughs> yeah. But back in that day, mm -hmm. that's what people did, and it yeah. was, and I'm, it's, it's, believe me, it's not cancel culture. It's like. I understand that. That was oh, that's what they did back in that day. But it's it's wince inducing. Mm. These days. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like I said, about four or five years earlier would really have been the heyday, the late nineteen nineties. Okay. Mm -hmm. When when Vince Russo was still writing uh, for WWE would really have been. I'm sorry, Vince Russo, bro. Let me tell you something, <laughs> bro. Um, yeah, there was a head writer for WWE named Vince Russo mm. who. Uh, modeled wrestling on uh the jerry springer show oh okay um so thankfully he was not uh he was beholden to editors or other people on the writing committee that would be able to kind of shape that into kind of what we think of when we think of wrestling mm -hmm. um but by this point uh the company had gone public so there were stockholders mm. to be um beholden to so uh you know and uh there was um i guess they were still were they on spike i guess they were on spike at this point yeah might have been yeah or, or tnn and tnn actually was the first to really try yeah. to reel them back right um. so they were kind of moving more toward um a quote-unquote more family-friendly product uh at this point but it was still pretty blatantly suggestive this was not family friendly no i mean no. I, I, I'll, I'll i'll be blunt and say i enjoyed this a lot more in person than i did watching it on television <laughs> <laughs> um matt matt goes over on this one matt wins he is still the uh cruiserweight championship cruiserweight champion sorry um and speaking of family friendly, we then cut to the Miller Lite Catfight Girls, oh, which geez. is... Oh, boy. Uh, I had completely forgotten about this ad campaign. Do you guys remember this? I didn't... I remember this to be a bathroom break. <laughs> I Yeah. Live. I didn't know that there was an ad campaign to back it up, which I guess... I don't... I can't decide if that makes it better or worse, actually. I was going to say it makes it better, but I'm not sure it does. Um, I do remember... Because Miller Lite's... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Miller Lite's advertising was always taste great or less filling. Right. Mm -hmm. And they did these series of commercials where these women would wind up catfighting each other over whether or not it was taste great or less Boy. filling. Boy. Definitely blocked yeah. that there out. Was, there was, let's just say there was no great taste when it came to this segment. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, it, what, I mean, this is such a stupid thing to fixate on, but what bothered me most is they didn't let anyone win. Yes. Oh, if you're gonna subject yeah. them to this sort of awful <laughs> contest for whatever you want to put it, you know, at yes. least let somebody come away with a victory. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So they arrive in the limo and they tease they tease the fight uh, on whether or not the Hogan McMahon match or the 
I think Lesnar angle match is the better no, match. No, it was, of the it was night. Rock Austin. I Rock think. Austin, mm-hmm. right, yeah. Is the better match of the night. Um, and then actually, we get a misogynist joke that I actually kind of found funny. Where Taz looks at the camera and goes, I, I hear the I hear the uh, the catfight girls are into me. And Michael says to him, How did you hear that? And he goes, well, I made it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> that <was> solid. <laughs> um, okay, then we get earlier tonight on Sunday Night Heat, uh, which was the pre show. Okay. Nunzio dragged Nathan Jones into the shower where he was beat up by A Train and the big show. Um God, I forgot about Nunzio, too. He was cousin Nunzio for about two minutes. One of the full-blooded Italians. Right. But when they brought him into WWE, right, didn't he come in as Taz's cousin? I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Not that Taz said anything about it in the match. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think they he was just Nunzio by that point. Um, okay, then we introduce WWE's favorite band in the whole world... <laughs> Before, before I wrote that down too. Before we get to that really important band, the Nathan Jones yes. guy. So I didn't do a lot of research because I know the whole idea is that I don't know much, but I had to look him up because I'd never heard of him before. Mm-hmm. From what I read, they did this because he wasn't basically camera ready, and the idea was that if they yeah. gave him an injury, they didn't have to include him in the match they had been promising all mm-hmm. week. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's, that's accurate. Correct. All right. Yeah, he was he was a very large, very built mm-hmm. man, um, and he legit had a tough guy background. He had uh, been in prison. Oh, in Australia, and, and he could not wrestle. Um, and apparently, he'd been working with trainers. The three guys that he's in the ring with are notorious for carrying bad wrestlers, mm-hmm. and. They still didn't think he was ready. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So he had everything except the actual ability to wrestle. Like, the bio exactly. was good, but that was it. Okay. Exactly. Um, yes. Limp Biscuit is the WWE's favorite <laughs> band. Uh, okay. In the whole world. In the whole world. All right. Here's the thing about concerts on wrestling shows. And by the way, they took out Ashanti, which is weird. Um, oh, they did. Yeah, she did the. Shanti's not on the network. Uh, every year they have an, a different celebrity come out and sing not the national anthem, but America the Beautiful, because Vince McMahon thinks it's a better song. He's not wrong. Um, <laughs> I don't like Vince, but yeah. he's not wrong about that. <laughs> um, Damn it! <laughs> um, and that year was Ashanti because it was 2003. But for whatever reason, her appearance isn't on the network. Huh. Um, but. Um, Yes, limp, so yes, Limp Biscuit. Here's the thing about concerts during wrestling shows. I get if you're there, it's probably fun, you know, because they're setting up the ring for the next show or whatever. They're, you know, they're doing stuff and you've got a nice distraction and it can be fun. It gets the crowd pumped up. But just watching it on TV just sucks all the momentum out of the show. However, I will say that rolling. Or rolling, 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 or rolling, whatever rolling. the song. <laughs> Raw high. Get, no, I'm sorry. Um, that was Undertaker's entrance music at the time. Right. Mm, so right. I could see the tie-in there. Yeah. They've, they've, uh, plus, they've like that. I said, limp, they use Limp Biscuit for nearly everything at this yeah. point. Mm. I mean, and they they've done that since. Where they had Living Color for CM Punk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they had Motorhead for Triple H one year. Mm-hmm. So they've done it. Um, and 
Oh yeah, and Limp Bizkit had a breakdancer with them, which I had to write down. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but yes, this is all an extended version of Taker's Entrance. Mm-hmm. Waving the, the American flag. Badass. He's waving the flag on the bike because the Iraq War started three weeks before the show. Ah. And this was the last appearance of the American Badass Taker. Oh, thank God. I hated that gimmick. So, <laughs> so for somebody who wasn't very familiar, I, I know Undertaker is sort of the, the undead kind of uh, incarnation. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the sort of right. past his retirement but shows up once a year. Uh, so is this just he likes motorcycles? Is that his whole angle for a while? Ding! Yes. Correct. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, need, I really need to bring in the bell and the horn for this show. Uh, for remind about, me to do that next week. <laughs> for about two years, there. Yeah, they just. I think it was just more to reflect who Mark Calloway is as a person. Okay. Um, you know who he stopped being an undead zombie and was just a biker. Um, and then. 9-11 happened, so they were able to throw in kind of like a conservative-style patriotism into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but not blatantly like uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan or somebody. It was more just... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes. But it's Taker. He's taking on The Big Show and A-Train, which is now a handicap match. They don't get separate entrances. They have to come into Big Show's music. Hmm. Um <laughs> And they come on, ride the... the train and ride it. <laughs> woot, woot. Come on, ride the t- no. That and... would be A Train's music, wouldn't that'd it? That'd be amazing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he had that awful Uncle Cracker song with uh, X Pac for a while. Wow. Um... <laughs> uh, oh, and on his way to the ring, A Train messes with Taker's bike. And as soon as he gets in the ring, he gets a chant of "Shave your back," which I thought was great. <laughs> the classic. <laughs> Started by many people with Brute Bernard back in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. (laughs) The unpredictable Brute Bernard. And The Undertaker is dedicating this match to his nephew who is fighting in Iraq. Um, America. America. Uh, Yeah, at some point... um, Oh. Albert's trash talk was really loud. I had that written down. Or (laughs) A-Train. I'm sorry, A-Trains. I'll never... Matt Bloom, his, his trash talk is really loud. He starts yelling, you ain't so bad, at some point. <laughs> um, but let, let's figure out the gimmick here. Hold mm-hmm. on. So we have the American yeah. Badass, mm-hmm. right. the Dead Man, right. Big Evil. <laughs> oh, and you notice all these are written on, on his pants in case you don't yes. know what they are. <laughs> it's like, let's Was pick this... a name. Oh, no. I can't figure out what. This was around the time, but when he was a heel, that Michael Cole started calling him the Red Devil, which never stuck. Hmm. Uh, Especially with Kane showing up. I was going to say, that seems more of a Kane thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Kane wasn't on this show. I just realized that. Um, Had a lot of vintage references here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Vintage Undertaker. Well, it wasn't very vintage back then. He was only around <laughs> <No>. 10 years. <laughs> um, yes, Nathan Jones eventually runs in and uh, kicks the Big Show, which apparently um, dismantles the Big Show. And Taker wins this one, and this pissed me off. <laughs> Nathan stays in the ring 
after his run-in. Hmm. And the ref does nothing about it. <laughs> Mad about well, that. because because technically... Here, here. Ask the ref. Uh, I've never okay. been a ref. Technically, <laughs> Nathan Jones was Taker's tag team partner. Oh, that's true. So he was allowed to be so there. So that would make sense. Okay. Jones did have... Count of five. Jones did have good-looking kicks. That's yeah. the one thing. The one thing he could do. Yeah. So here's your trivia question, depending upon who hit your Google machine afterwards. But I knew, uh, actually knew this, just because uh, I was curious about it once. What did Nathan Jones go on to do after this? Oh boy, no idea. He was one of the lead actors in Mad Max: Glory Road, which was shot, of course, in Australia. Right. Okay. It's just a minor correction. That's Fury Road, not Glory Road. Fury Road. Sorry. Glory Road. <laughs> That's a different pay-per-view. <laughs> yes, that's right. He was. That, is a, uh, that Glory Road was a realize... pay-per-view on WCW, wasn't it? No, <laughs> TNA. TNA pay-per-view. Well, there you go. TNA, WCW, M O U S E. Um. All right, and so, yes, we get the patriotic ending, the Undertaker waving the flag in the ring. Then back to the Catfight Girls, who meet Stacey Keebler and Tori Wilson backstage. Um, and they make the reference to testicles. Yes. Yes, which, wow, they gave this no context. <laughs> and it was another thing where I went, oh, right, I remember this. There was a wrestler named Test uh-huh. who Stacey was acting as his marketing consultant or something. Mm. Yep. And she said the fans should be called testicles. Mm -hmm. And it went on forever. <laughs> Stacy Keebler, for being as classy as she was, was written into a lot of stuff that was about as unclassy as you can have. And remember, this is the same Stacy mm -hmm. Keebler who would go on to date one George, George Clooney. Clooney. Huh. Mm-hmm. But with those legs, you can with the stars one season. <laughs> um, we we discover that puppies are good in this, apparently. Oh um, right! <laughs> how many times can you say puppies uh, uh, and, and not be looking at the Westminster Dog Show? Yeah. <laughs> they push it. They they reach for it. They really do. All right. Then we get Jr. speaking to the camera. He references Ashanti, even though she was left off the network, mm -hmm. and. He says he hopes the war in Iraq will be over soon, which is just depressing to see in 2020. Um, and then, um, for some reason, the tag championship match was relegated to the, the pre-show, where the Dudley boys helped... One of the tag championships. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they helped... I don't even see... I don't even remember this tag team. Morley and who? No, oh, it was um, it was uh, Lance Storm. Lance Storm, right? And, and then and RVD and was on the yeah, and Sean Morley, who was yeah. Val Venus, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes. Oh, right, That's... right. Okay, yeah. Okay. Hello, ladies. <laughs> yes. Right, and the other the other team was RVD and Kane. That's where Kane there we was. Go. Okay, yeah. So All he right. Kane was on the show. He just wasn't. He was on the pre-show. Yeah. Yeah, this was, right, because this was during that period, this was two years after the WCW purchase, so the roster was so stuffed mm -hmm. that they wound up um, relegating a lot of stuff weird. And they okay. still do. I mean, yep. this that yeah. was the start of it. 
yeah. to where the pre-show became an extension of it before we've gone into the okay. seven-hour WrestleMania or eight-hour. And <laughs> even now, you'll still see like the cruiserweight championship will happen, or an NXT belt will happen on rest on the pre-show even now. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, next match is Trish Stratus versus Jazz. It's her first match after nine months versus Victoria with Stephen Richards. And this was Jazz first after nine months because of an ACL, not necessarily because she was gone for nine right. months. Right. Mm. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> did you know, Craig, did you notice they changed Victoria's music? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, she had licensed music. She used to come out to uh, All the Things She Said by Tattoo. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, yeah. Victoria was always, always one of my favorite women. Oh, workers. she looks great. She looks great in this match. I mean, She's so quick. There's just something about her, and you know, she was uh, Lisa Marie Veron was a, a fitness uh, fitness model, and she she came into wrestling and just did a really good job. Yeah. I mean, all. As far as the workers in this match, it would almost seem that Trish was the, quote, worst because she just didn't have the experience that the other two did. Trish, but, Trish looked a little sloppy. Yeah, but... There's a there's a bulldog at some point that looks really bad. But, yeah, but but if you think about, you know, this was still the women's championship before they turned it to the Divas championship. Right. And oh. Victoria was just really good. Yeah, uh, this uh, we, they actually did have a women's championship, Tim, before well, they had the Divas, well, actually, and then went back to the yeah was gonna, evolution. I was going to ask about that because I know right right now, from what I've heard from people who know things about wrestling, is supposed to be sort of like a golden age of women's wrestling in the WWE. And I was curious how now compares to then. Um, just you know, obviously at, starting the show at off the with time the, this. Sh- sorry, go ahead. I was going to say at the time this show was made, um, the two main uh, TV shows uh, WWE had every week were Raw and SmackDown, <laughs> and they didn't interact a lot. Um, they felt very much like separate entities, which is why like they had different announcers for different matches and stuff like this at this WrestleMania. Right. And this was the Raw. No, this this was SmackDown side, right? No, it was Raw no, this, because this was the it, Raw was, side. it was Lawler the Raw and, side, yeah. right? The raw side felt more like actual wrestling because mm-hmm. they—you could tell that these were uh, the women who actually had some training and some athletic ability. And the SmackDown side felt more like the cat fight matches okay. and the, the lingerie matches and the pillow fights and all that stuff. So they were sort so. of having it both ways back then. Yeah. Okay. And and they they tried to make it legitimate in in actual wrestling, but. Uh, they had a long way to go because you you, di- you literally did have this dichotomy of let's have people who can actually wrestle and let's have people we can rip their clothes off. Right. And after this particular time, it ended up being more rip your clothes off until right. until the evolution happened when right. NXT started going, wow, these... These women can really wrestle, mm. and they aren't divas. They're actually wrestlers. Well, there was always, but you there was can't say workers. wrestling there. Right. <laughs> there was always workers like uh, like AJ. Yeah, AJ yeah. and Lita. Mm. Yeah, and Lita. Yeah, that's true. Um, but but e- yeah, they, even then, you yeah. get it. You know, even Trish Stratus uh, was into the 
into the sexual part for a long well, time. And yeah, that's that's so interesting about Trish Stratus because she was clearly brought in to do like the pillow fights and the lingerie matches, but by the time she retired, she became a legitimate worker. Mm. Um, this was not yeah. the Playboy era of yeah. of the workers. I mean, yeah. that's at one point it was like almost every diva would show up in Playboy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that I was a reader, because I wasn't, but not that I was a reader. Um, oh, also somebody is carrying a blurred sign in the background of this match. I have no idea why. Uh, no idea what they blurred out. Um, but, but Trish when, wins this one. Yeah, but when when Lawler called it a love triangle. Oh, God. Yeah. Hmm. There's also uh, there's something really <laughs> gross about the way he keeps referring to Victoria... Um, jazz because she's less traditionally attractive and and the beautiful blonde from toronto mm, trish yeah, yeah it's ugh. all right we then cut to coach with the rock i love this promo that the rock cuts it he, he, shows just how amazing yeah he was yeah and the stuff that he and brian gewertz would come up together Mm-hmm. was just so phenomenal and he had been off for a while because he yeah. had done scorpion king and and some of the other movies before this was like his hollywood comeback match right as a heel mm-hmm. yeah he hates the fans because they never supported him mm-hmm. and he's learned everything in hollywood what i love about how uh the the promo style well style is the same but he actually makes it work as a heel. Like he's teasing mm-hmm. that he's going to do the catchphrase and he never does it. Mm. Um, you know, it's pretty great. <laughs> but um, it, it also comes off as realistic too. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the thing that rock was so good at, at, at this particular point is the realism that he would put between all the, all the catchphrases. Like when he at the very end, when he goes, finally, yeah. finally, and then just goes finally and walks yeah. off. Yeah, that that means that okay, this isn't a character. Rock's really pissed. Mm. <laughs> that was good. All right, we then go to another tag team match. Uh, content warning: We are going to be talking about Chris Benoit. Yeah. Um, it's uh, Eddie and Chavo Guerrero versus Chris Benoit and Rhino. Forgot that they were ever a team. Mm-hmm. Versus Team Angle, who are the champs going in. Um, I also had forgotten how good Team Angle were. Um, this is a great technical match. My thing that yeah. I said is it shows mm-hmm. how good all these teams were. Yeah. Oh, right. I, I got a little confused on the rules of this. It's because uh, it's a it's a. Oh, yeah. It's a six-man tag, so it, I had forgotten that any member of a team can tag any other member of a team. Mm-hmm. So I actually have that written down. Why is Eddie tagging somebody from that's not Chavo? <laughs> um, and and that's uh, this was two triple threat matches in a row. If you're going to yes, you know, if you're stacking a show as we call it in in the uh, television business, you don't put two triple threat matches back to back. <laughs> Especially if they have confusing rules. I don't know why I'm sounding like Robin Leach, but I seem to be doing it, and I don't know why. 
Um, this is a great match, though. It's uh, it's so technically proficient. I'd forgotten just how great all of them were. Um, I know I said that about Team Angle, but uh, Eddie and Chavo and, and Benoit. Rhino is kind of the weak link here, but he was fine. Um, uh, Team Angle wins, retaining the championship. And then we get back to the catfight girls. And one of them keeps mispronouncing Hogan, and it drives me crazy. Hulk Hogan! Hogan, right. Hogan. I kind of got a it's kick out of it. It's sort of meta. I mean, unfortunately, Hulk Hogan is still with us, but um, it's sort of meta for that era. I don't think it was intentional at all, but it was a nice little sort of, I don't know, knife in the side of Hogan about being forgotten. <laughs> um, but I don't think it was intentional. It's just something I can appreciate now in retrospect. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let me tell you, brother, if you're going to mispronounce my name, you got to get it right. It's Hogan, not Hogan. What you going to do about that, brother? That's great. Oh, I'm sorry. Did somebody walk in here? I, I, I walked out of the room for a minute. Um, <laughs> um, Tim, I very much can appreciate that. Uh, but it's it's also so clear that the, the Miller Lite catfight girls were just, like, paid to be there for the day. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. They could... They could care less about wrestling. <laughs> um, um, and in the okay. ring, in bed, in the ring, right. in bed. Yeah. <laughs> We've got. Uh, and that wasn't uh, even one of those bad jokes where you end every th- every sentence with the words "in bed." In bed, right? <laughs> I was expecting the uh, the Daffy Duck thing, rabbit season, duck season, despicable. <laughs> um. Okay, then, um, anybody else notice the Juggalos behind JR and King, or was I the only one? <laughs> you were probably the only one, because I didn't notice. Signs of the ICP's hatchet man behind them. <laughs> um, shout out to Nathan Rabin, because that's the only reason I know that, is I read his book about Juggalo culture. Um, <clears throat> and, oh yeah, okay, then we get the video package for Chris Jericho and Shawn Michaels. What a fantastic match this was. Uh, even if Sean's uh, confetti guns, half of them don't work. Oh my God! Can you just uh, uh, let, let me? Uh, not not wanting to emulate Bruce Pritchard, but I can just. Damn it! Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's the difference between Rod Simmons and like, yeah. damn it! What's going on? Can't yeah. you get those things going? Such a great match, though. Um, but yeah, the, the confetti guns not working is. <laughs> It's, that's a bit ominous. Uh, uh, side note, apparently me doing Vince McMahon makes my dogs bark. <laughs> nice. Um, oh, and as Jericho's entering the ring, Jerry Lawler mentions WrestleMania the movie? Yes. And I can what was I, that? I, I, uh, well, WrestleMania the movie was their first attempt, and I think they were going to... Uh, I don't know if they ever put it in theaters or not, but... It was the first time they had shot a WrestleMania on 35mm film. Oh, wow. And they put together a separate broadcast, and it might be on the network somewhere, Hmm. where it was shot more like a movie than a sporting event. And I think, you know, I I should have done a little research on this before uh, before starting, but... um, I think they originally wanted to put it out as a theatrical release... But I think okay. they ended up showing it on one of their networks as a special, 
and I'm not sure if it was NBC when they went back to that, but I do remember that they shot a lot of the WrestleManias uh, like this to, to see if they could get a different audience from it. Hmm. I don't remember that at all. While you all talk, I may look it up. Um, Shawn Michaels wins this one, and uh, afterwards um, they hug, and then Jericho kicks Michaels. <laughs> Is great. Which and and if you look as you watch this match and uh, uh, Tim, I don't know how many uh, Jericho matches you've watched, but he does this. He, he almost does the exact same thing now. And how many years later is it? Yeah, twenty something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just shows just how amazing the ring psychology between these yeah. two people were because. In the world of storytelling, and I'd love for you to talk about this, Tim. Mm -hmm. In the world of storytelling, that match told an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. And from, you know, sort of knowing some of the external details that I know that, um, uh, not Chris Jericho, the, um, Michaels had been away for a while, right? And this was sort of a return of sorts for him. And, uh, yeah, it's just... They don't always do it right, especially with the longer matches, at least in my opinion. But this one, you actually felt like they both were involved in the match. They both had um, a reason to be there beyond the fact that this is how they get their paycheck. Uh, and yes. It, it, yeah. There was a certain amount of... It's an overstatement to say pathos, but I guess that's the best I can come up with, is there was a certain amount of pathos that you could see beyond just these two guys are hitting each other. And yeah. the fact that Jericho grew up, and they showed it in the pre, uh, pre-match pre piece. Right. That yeah. Jericho grew up wanting to be Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Right. I, I love that promo. I, I didn't want to be the next Shawn Michaels. I wanted to be the, the first Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, and that's impressive. And, yeah, again, no. and again, going back, Tim, to what you were talking about, that the storytelling began with those, those pre-match mm-hmm. vignettes. Yep, absolutely. And... And then into the match. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that Shawn Michaels can hang with Chris Jericho, despite the fact that Chris Jericho grew up idolizing him, is, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you're talking about Chris Jericho now versus then, speaks to how Shawn Michaels was then, even though he had been sort of teetering on the idea of retiring and things like that, that he could still, even if necessarily his athleticism wasn't 100%, he could still do the storytelling aspect enough of it that you could sell everything that was happening. And within the match, the moves that were used, the fact that they were each using each other's Mm -hmm. moves. Yeah. Oh, their styles fit together so perfectly. Yes, exactly. Um, And it seems like they were... This probably was a Pat Patterson special. Because he was he was the genius of putting together matches like that. And just given crowd reaction, you could feel that they were evenly matched in terms of that, too. This wasn't, you know, yeah. they both had tremendous support in the audience, which is, I imagine, a hard way to book a card, if I'm saying that correctly, um, to, mm-hmm. to make it so yeah, everyone's absolutely. equally enthusiastic about what's going on as opposed to... Um, I mean, I guess there's some fun in that, too, if they're all for very much for one guy and not the other. But this one, it was sort of... It, it's great to have that constant energy, uh, especially during a longer yeah. match. Yeah, Michael, Michaels is, is the babyface in this match, but the crowd loves Jericho mm-hmm. just as much, partially because he was... You know, they step out of... Yes, you're supposed to cheer the, the baby faces and boo the heels, but they kind of step out of it. He's so good at being a heel that they love right. him. One of the cool um, heels. 
Yeah. That, and, uh, you know, that Austin, you know, Austin and The Rock became the mm -hmm. first cool heels, and mm -hmm. Jericho was one of those. Yep. Yeah, and it doesn't feel, I don't know how to put this any other way, but it doesn't feel sociopathic to support him either. Like, he's not such a heel that he's, like, <laughs> monstrous. You know, he is a heel in that right. he is flamboyant, and he's obviously the, uh, the, the younger wrestler, and he has, you know, the whole bit about, you know, I want to be the first Chris Jericho and things like that. Um, right. But he's... You don't have to feel bad about cheering for him. He does. He's not a terrible human being. Well, until until the end when he double crosses Michaels right. when Michaels is trying to hug. But him. that feels <laughs> of a piece yeah. with wrestling to me. Yes. <laughs> Boo. Boo. All right. And that brings oh. us to Sylvian Gren Grenier entering Mr. McMahon's dressing room for some reason um. because he was the he was the heel He's... ref. Yes. And then we get uh, the Safeco Field attendance record. I didn't write down the number. Um, 54,000 plus. 54,000 plus. And that's because you could put people in the infield. That's how you get an attendance right. mm. record. Yeah. Although Paul yeah. McCartney played there, I want to say a couple of years ago, so that record may have been broken since. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, but I've always heard that the numbers were always inflated, like it wasn't really 93,000 at the Silver Dome. Um Having but, worked in sports, I can tell you any number yeah. can be any number where you want it to be. Right. you sure. got to add in things like how many tickets did they give away, you know, corporate sponsors and things yeah. like that, how many people actually showed up for that. So. Right. Yeah. It's wrestling, too. It's just it's in the nature to inflate the numbers, mm -hmm. you know. Well, everything has the to be big in really some way full. or another, right? Right. So. Yeah. The cage isn't really 15 feet off the ground, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, um, They're packed to okay. the rafters, gorilla. <laughs> We then get Limp Biscuit performing a song called Crack Addict. Yeah. Friendly Friendly. That's the um, that's the official song of WrestleMania 19, right? Isn't that yes, what they, they announced it as? Yes. <laughs> and they were again WWE's favorite, not favorite band in the world this time. This time they were just favorite band. <laughs> um, oh, and then we get the cat fight. Coach, <sighs> it's, it's a mess. Coach gets pantsed. Stacy comes in and joins the cat fight. So does Tori. Coach gets pinned and counted. The pin is counted. Yeah. That's weird. I will tell you that when this show was on live, this was a bathroom break. I am not I'm kidding sure. you. I honestly didn't remember this. At, and I was there. And I, I, was, I was in my virile years, so to speak. I still don't remember it. There's, there's obviously room for goofy in wrestling. Like there is room for sure. ridiculousness and fun and things like that. So I don't want to say otherwise. But the fact that it's one of two women's matches, and it's yeah, like the pantsing could exist in another match, but everything else couldn't. You know, you can't, you wouldn't have. Yeah. Although maybe I'd be in favor of that. You wouldn't have a uh, pillow fight between The Rock and you know whoever uh although that might be fun uh, but you know just everything else it's saddled with you can't get away with that one extra thing which is just it makes it all this that much is... more grown worthy right finally the rock has come back with a down pillow for um when when i was married um you had you pillow know, fights I... oh. Well, yes, but uh, no. When I was when I was married, my um, and um, I'd want my kids to watch wrestling with me. Like they they weren't like 
teenagers yet. You know, they were, but they were like school age, and I was like, oh, wrestling, that's fun. Mm-hmm. And this is the reason my ex-wife would always say no. It's <laughs> stuff like this. Um, you know, because she used to watch with me, and she'd see this kind of mm-hmm. stuff, and like, she was like, it's fine for adults, but no. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Um, this was also during that weird time, like, I guess they felt they had to be titillating because there was a big, like, adolescent male um audience but mm-hmm. you know the internet exists it existed in 2003 um right. and <laughs> nobody's watching it's, it it's this. Uh, let's face it it's always existed although yeah. in i'd say maybe the last six or seven years people have started going eh, maybe this isn't the greatest thing in the world yeah, yeah. uh i mean i i will yeah i mean last I, week we talked about a bikini contest yeah so, well yeah. I will. I will admit, I'm 57. I'm on the older age of the demographic, um, and some things that were funny in one age, true, are not funny now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but were still funny to us back in the day. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the movie Blazing Saddles. Sure. Uh, the uh, I've been binging Hogan's Heroes, and and nice. you you have people who would go, how dare people make fun of World War Two and and mm-hmm. and the Holocaust and Jew- well, I didn't know until this week that Schultz, Klink, and Hochstetter were all German Jews. I yep, never right, knew that yeah. until this week, and that LeBeau was a legit Holocaust survivor. That, to me, is amazing that they would go and tell a story like that at that time. It is sure. still hilarious. But could you get away with something like that now? No. Hmm. And I think this is that's the cat fight scenario is one that you could get away with back then. And it was probably, okay, this is normal. Yeah. We've evolved. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um that was that was a sidetrack, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Let's move on to the Booker T and Triple H video package. Okay, I have thoughts about the match. The video package, though, like Tim was saying, is amazing. They put over the fact that Booker T legitimately did time in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, they bring up Triple H's incredibly problematic comment that someone like Booker T can't yeah. be a champion. yeah. <laughs> here's the thing about that i'd be fine with the fact that that existed if booker t won right if he won this match then he's getting his revenge on the racist that said right and then it's a rejection of that notion exactly but it's the fact that vince's son-in-law has to win this match just kills it for me yeah so although no go ahead Go ahead. I was just going to... Oh, I was going to say... Please, Tim, okay. go ahead. Um, my thing was... Uh, the triple... Yeah, the um, the some people thing sticks out like... Or people like you think sticks yeah. out brutally. Yeah. And I know there's an excuse for it. And he meant criminal, not you know African-American. Yeah. But again, it's one of those things where, where there are so few people of color on the card... You you yeah. have or you know, just like with the women's match, you know, when there are so few examples of it involved, you have to be that much more conscious of it. And this is one that yeah. I don't think history. You know, you were talking about earlier in context or in the era, it's a different thing. But I, 
from what I read, this back then rang badly for people. So it it rang badly for a lot of people because Booker loses. Yeah, which um, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was also during a time when Triple H was constantly winning. Mm-hmm. Um, he was newly married to Vince's daughter, um, and was kind of writing the show backstage even though he never officially was Mm -hmm. hired to do that and so for about a year he just won weekly you know he was the champion nobody could touch him and uh so like that doesn't help yeah um yeah i and and this could be a sidebar of a this could be an entire show and it would be a very difficult show to do Mm -hmm. but The history of racism in pro wrestling is just the most amazing thing. But for for, for every story of that, there's a guy like Bill Watts who gave gave people some some opportunities, but then, you know, would have comments at other times. Mm -hmm. It's just it's well. It it is a story that is worth looking into, and I'm I'm wondering if anybody's ever done a book or a, a, a long term thesis on, on uh, that there, particular thing. There is a podcast I'm going to shout out called Tights and Fights. Yes. Yep. Oh, I know Tights and Fights. Yeah. Yeah. Tight, well, Tights and Fights is hosted by by people of color, mm-hmm. and it's a great podcast because they they will get into these issues occasionally. Yeah. From um, uh, a place where it, it's less academic mm-hmm. like craig and i are white guys um and and so, i am really i am very white <laughs> as well so yeah um so that's interesting yeah and um and yeah. wrestling's always existed or always had that sort of weird tension with it because part of what works in wrestling is the kind of uh archetypal relationships you, you see this in yes it's fictional but you see it in the television show glow as well the netflix series that Mm -hmm, people were frequently being put in these boxes because it's a shortcut in terms of storytelling like you have types sure um and the types evolve as we do but unfortunately we evolve so very slowly um so you get these kinds of weird things you know back in the first gulf war you got uh sergeant slaughter became uh for some reason an iraqi and he was the bad guy and so Yes. Wrestling has always played with this kind of dynamite, and sometimes they get away with it, and sometimes you're wrong even for the moment. And I get the feeling that's what right. this was. And well, that's did you, that's did you a ever shock see the thing I say. Oh, my, uh, uh, pardon was, me. Please continue. <laughs> to Tim's point, that is a stock thing I say. Wrestling has essentially, aside from monsters and giants and things like that, there are three types of wrestling villains. Mm-hmm. Evil foreigners, uh, evil millionaires... And sexually ambiguous flamboyant right. guys. You know, it's... Right, because you said it's real easy shorthand. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a thing you, you know, that somebody will pay $20 to go see an all-American kid from Iowa go and kick one of those weird guys' asses. Right. <laughs> but I, I, I yeah. will tell you that the fact that uh, as, as we evolve in life, the fact that Patrick Clark, the Velveteen Dream, is so popular and so oh, well yeah. loved. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. and and he is really a breakthrough character in the world of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that 
uh, NXT is doing a lot with uh, this new kid, Jake Atlas, that's coming in. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe we're starting to see a a change in that, and and that's a a really good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think so. Boy, we got really serious here, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. In an e- Thanks, Booker T and Triple H. <laughs> in an effort to... This is the part that wasn't fake. <laughs> in an effort to be less serious, I was inclined to dislike Triple H already, though, because I guess... So, again, some external knowledge, Triple H used to be Hunter Hearst Helmsley, right? Correct. And his whole gimmick was he was, like, this super upper crust guy who, like, yeah, played right. polo and things like that. And ever since I've learned that, that's all I want. I want him to go back to that. I want um, the the brother, or the son-in-law of the guy who runs wrestling, to be a like blue blood, Connecticut, which he actually is, Connecticut resident, and right. being from Connecticut myself, and unfortunately a bit of a blue blood myself. That's all I want from Triple H. Is I want him to drop the whole long hair thing. I want to see him in an ascot, and I want him to wrestle that way. But alas, well, what were your views? So you want your views on the wait. Mean Street Posse, then, Tim? Tim, you have to check out uh, AEW. There's a wrestler named MJF Maxwell Jacob Friedman who does. Okay, that. I will definitely take a look at that. Wrestles in a Burberry scarf. He's amazing. Um, He's better than you, and he you is better know than it. you. Um, um, okay, here's something positive about this match. Ding. Jim Ross actually calls it wrestling. He refers to wrestling. He does not say sports entertainment. Oh. It is so refreshing to hear. Um, I mean, is yes, that I the know. Undertaker uh, driving up behind you or something? I heard, I heard a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I think I've got something coming down my street. I apologize. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the Undertaker. Um, so, unfortunately, it had to be during this match, but it was really nice to hear a WWE announcer say wrestling. Um, and so that's something positive and uh, oh the ref was really great and um, do you know who that ref was uh, it was it was Dave Hebner right? no, no no he was during Fenton. it was Nick Patrick who it was, was Patrick, one of the lead right. one of the lead uh, referees for WCW he didn't last yep. very long in, in WWF but he was always a phenomenal he, referee he got worked into an angle though yep. in both WCW and WWE yeah was the he was the dirty ref. And the the yeah. other thing is that, um, you know, Ross and Lawler worked the Homer announcer gimmick yes. to the hilt on this. Oh, one. yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't happen a lot these days. Um, but in this particular, they go from being in the match even before this the the Jericho Michaels match i mean those two matches are how you can call a wrestling match and be a, a heel face announced team and have it yeah. really work well mm-hmm. and they can do that so well which makes you wonder why earlier in the show i'm i have notes of like i can't believe that Ross and Lawler are saying the things they're saying yeah yeah, no, that that they really had good chemistry, and like I said, I I don't like Michael Cole now, but this was at the time when he was on SmackDown, um, and I think Paul Heyman was writing SmackDown. 
It, um, it's all about the product. It's all about who's yeah. producing them, who's in his ear. Yeah, exactly. So and um, and having Taz, you know, just this New York tough guy to work with was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, we then get a commercial for WWEshop.com where you can look like Rey Mysterio or Triple H. I think were the two they mentioned. Um, <laughs> All I know is I couldn't look like Rey Mysterio because I'm too freaking tall. Ask Eric <laughs> yep. Bischoff. That, that, um, now, here, here's your sidebar note, because you know mm -hmm. I love to bring in stories uh, that, that you had no idea about. Yes. But uh, here, here is your here is your Craig Johnson sidebar announcer story. Uh, many people wondered why I did not continue with professional wrestling following my days in the Global Wrestling Federation. I had one conversation, and it was actually over Prodigy. It wasn't even over a phone call about going to WCW. And Eric Bischoff said, I cannot hire you. Because you make all my wrestlers look small, I'd have to cut you off at your effing legs, oh, at your God. effing knees. And he said that on Prodigy in a chat with everybody. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. And that's why I got out of wrestling is because I made all the wrestlers look small. Because if I, I don't know if you go back this far, Max, or, or Tim, if you mm -hmm. would ever remember, but there was... There was a wrestler named Nitron who was supposedly seven feet tall, a masked wrestler from wherever. He was a WCW guy. We brought him into the USWA, and I swear the guy was 6'5", and I'm 6'4". Uh. And I had to make him look seven feet tall. And I had this certain crouch that I could do, especially when I'd be interviewing Bill Dundee, who was about 5'7". Uh, and I was like, wow, seven feet tall. And people are seeing me practically on my knees <laughs> interviewing the guy. But, yes, that, that answers the question if uh, – uh, about uh, whatever happened to that guy? Why didn't he keep doing wrestling? Well, that would be the reason why. <laughs> okay. The more uh, you know. <laughs> okay, we then get the package of Hogan versus McMahon. I love this video package because it actually touches on real life stuff, mm -hmm. or at least the WWE's version of history. Um, and again, Hogan, they changed his music. It's not Voodoo Child. It's close. Hmm. Um, and yeah, this is this is considering the fact that one of these guys is in his fifties at this point, and I think one of them's in his sixties at this point. It's a really physical match. Hmm. Um, they hit the hell out of each other. Um, I I love but, how he hulked up many times during the match. I meaning Hulk yeah. hulked up. Mm -hmm. Many times during the match, but then you will see in this match things that you don't see anymore, like an unprotected headshot on yeah. Vince McMahon. Mm. Vince, yeah, Vince winds up wearing the crimson mask. Yes, yeah. it's, it's brutal. It looks brutal, like especially with Hogan's bleached hair. Uh, they both wind up bleeding. It looks pretty brutal. Some of my notes for this is, what is the budget for? monitors and lights on announcer tables throughout the history of wwe oh for the sheer amount of times they break them really, 
Those yes. used to be really expensive monitors. Now they just have <laughs> little LED screens, which I don't know how the heck the the guys call off of that. And then those little lights. Oh my God, they must have they must have an entire box of nothing but the the little uh, crane neck lights. And the other thing was when. Um, uh, oh, I said the unprotected headshot uh, to right. McMahon may explain his booking ever since. Uh, <laughs> God, yes. But then if you watch when Hogan gets thrown behind the announcer desk, you will see him reach into his his tights and pull out his blade. And you can see yeah. it as plain as day because yeah, yeah. he's, he's holding on really to it. really obvious. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> um. But yes, the Spanish announce table gets destroyed. I love the Spanish announce table spot. I, I mark out for that so hard every time. And Hugo gets knocked out. Uh, um, Hugo Zimanovich. He gets knocked out. Roddy Piper runs in. Yeah. Um, what, what did it say on Piper's shirt? Because all I could said, see was farts. It said frats, as in brothers. Oh, okay. I all I they saw actually, was farts. <laughs> They sold that shirt at WWE.com for a minute, and the, the back of the shirt was a list of wrestlers who had passed away that Piper had worked oh, with. Oh, okay. So it said, like, Owen Hart, Brian Pillman, you know. It, yeah, frats. But yes, it does look like, I think that's why they didn't sell it too long. <laughs> I liked that they put him in a different outfit, as if Hulk Hogan, who hadn't known him for years, would only recognize him yes. in plaid. <laughs> if he wasn't wearing yes. plaid, Hulk would have no idea who he was. <laughs> yes. And was was he the guy? If you'll notice that there was, and I don't think it was, but there was one time when one of the grips just got nailed when uh, McMahon threw Hogan towards the barrier, and yes. one of the, one of the guys just went down, and I was almost wondering. If that was the Piper character, but looking back on it, I don't think it was. Hmm. But just all, all, all the black yeah. there, it's just, yeah. it would kind of be interesting if, if that was part of it. Yeah. Um, and then Vince throws out Dave Hebner, who's the ref. So Sylvan can run in and ref. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that was Brian Hebner. Was, that, was uh, it Dave was it, was or it Brian Hebner? I think it was, it was Brian. 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 You're right. Yeah. Um, I'm not trying right. to correct you. No, 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 no. I think you're you're absolutely right. But you're wrong. He was too young to be Dave. Um, so right. Um, yes. Yeah, so Sylvan Grenier can run in and be the new ref, but then Hogan attacks him. Um, now, did, at one point in the commentary, did they call him Renee? I think so. <laughs> because I'm going, his... that's not Rene Dupree. No, right. Rene was his tag team partner. Yeah, yeah Rene Dupree. Yeah, I think they did call him Renee. Um, and so Hogan wins, of course. And how which... did he win? Leg drop. Right? Of course he did. <laughs> yeah. After McMahon had given him all sorts of leg drops. Yeah. Five moves of doom, baby. <laughs> um, um, and uh, after the match, we get Shane running in to tend to Vince. Mm-hmm. So Vince can give Hogan the finger. Um See, I remembered Hogan losing this one going in because this is right before they did the Mr. America thing. Um, if you remember that, Craig. Boy, that was I'm Hogan's uh, <laughs> yellow dog, Charlie Brown out of town. Um, mm-hmm. Right, where he'd run in under a mask and be Mr. America. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was Hulk Hogan, yeah. Um, <clears throat> that was one for my amnesia books, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So that's why I remembered him losing, because I can't remember how they got to that angle. So going in, I was like, oh, that must be how they got to a Mr. America, because they they mentioned it a couple times that Hogan's contract is on the line. Um, he can never wrestle everywhere, anywhere in the world, in the universe. Right. Except TNA. Uh, <laughs> I just looked at the Mr. America, like, look. There's no way on earth yeah. anyone would not know that was Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Yeah, that's, the mask leaves room for that goatee of his, or that beard. Well, of his. <laughs> it's a pretty standard storyline in wrestling. Yeah. They've also done it with um, Jimmy Valiant, the Boogie Woogie Man. Yeah, uh, um, who was he? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Who he was, was Charlie Brown from out Charlie of town. Charlie Brown from out of town, and then of course the yeah. Yellow Dog was Yellow dog. Uh, Barry Windham. Dusted in many times the Midnight Rider, he will in public, yeah. he will. Yeah, it's what they. The the joke is the audience clearly knows who it mm-hmm. is but only one bad guy ever believes that it's that person and they can never prove it. Um, Bob Armstrong was the one that did it the longest with the bullet and he would appear, I think is both. (laughs) Yes. Um, Okay. Uh, Max, Max just had one of those moments with Bob Armstrong. Who the hell? Bob Armstrong. (laughs) Just, you know, Barb Armstrong, Bob Armstrong was a little before my time. Um, his sons I'm, I, I'm yeah. well aware of. Um, uh, yeah, so then we get the package for Austin and The Rock. Not the best video package. Uh, I liked the match fine. Um, not not the best match they've the, those two have ever had, but it's good. Um, wasn't I like wasn't it. Austin, like, just out of the hospital for this match isn't that the whole he went to the hospital because he thought he was having a heart attack really i think that's the 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 sort of now i always screw this up uh kayfabe is fake reality or okay so the real reality is that yeah he had been like just mainlining caffeine the day before and had to go to the hospital because he thought he was having a heart attack and it was just because he was way over caffeinated huh i had no idea Yeah, that's the fun fact for you (laughs) um... well the the thing the the thing that brought this in was the superstar of the decade thing about the rock going you know i made this Mm. yeah yeah it's 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 a good match uh the rock blatantly overstells a stunner at some point um <laughs> oh that was amazing a lot of classic uh, yeah a lot of classic <laughs> sequences in that between yeah. stunners and rock bottoms yeah um he he flipped over twice doesn't he like he hits the mat and then he flips yes. over again it's amazing yes <laughs> um yeah it's pretty great um um Yep, and The Rock wins this one with three rock bottoms. Um, And yeah, good on the announcers on this one. They really legitimately put over uh, Austin as an athlete, even though he's not at his best. They really put him over. Mm. Um, And The Rock's facials throughout this match. Of course, that's that's what's made him such a, a fun actor so much. But as he walked out of the match and down the aisle, again, using the facials... You yeah. almost thought it was like a swan song. Mm-hmm. Yes, and in in some ways it it probably was because 
although he would go on to have a match against Cena and, and maybe a couple of other matches. This was probably the last great well, match I can remember. The next year he would fight Hogan, which is great just for nostalgia. Yeah. but Or no, was that the year before? Mm, might have been. That might have been the year before. I don't have a res- uh, wrestling encyclopedia inside my head. It's too full of song lyrics. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Then we get... Our final match, well, first and final video package of the night, which is, nope, second final video package of the night, because they did that one before the credits. Um, get our, our Brock Lesnar video package. Mm-hmm. And leading into Kurt Angle versus Brock Lesnar. Also a good one. Um, really good. I think this was the first time we ever saw Brock do the Shooting Star Press. And the um, last time you ever saw him do the Shooting Star Press. Yeah. Um... Which, I mean, he lands on his head, that doesn't he? That big, he does. Yeah, he yeah. does. It's it looks painful, um, but the fact that a guy that big can do that move is impressive. Well, the the story of that comes from OVW when he would do that at OVW uh, and be able to successfully do it, and they wanted to figure out the right time for him to do it when it came to being on the main roster. The problem, there were a lot of problems. And uh, as I mentioned, this was the one WrestleMania I attended in person. And quite honestly, it's the, (laughs) that one spot is about the only thing I remember from the entire WrestleMania. (laughs) Um, Because it was, it was scary in person. It was even scarier on video. But if you take, if you break down that spot, the fact is, he had given the, given Angle the F five, but put him over in the in the far third of the ring. Mm-hmm. And when you think of shooting star presses, they go up and they come down. Yeah. And I think Brock was like, "Well, I I gotta try it because I'm committed to it." And you almost saw Brock Lesnar kill himself if it weren't yeah. for the fact that wrestlers have the most amazing necks ever mm. <laughs> but yeah. le- all, totally leading up to that spot yeah think of all of the recent brock lesnar matches and what a mess they've been oh yeah they're, and, they're 30 seconds long they're yeah and you look back at this match and you go my god the guy can work and of oh, course yeah. he's in there with angle and and those are just two classic wrestlers and and classic uh, you know, classic pro wrestlers, and you you mm-hmm. scratch your head and you're going, why can't we see that out of Brock anymore? Is it because well, he just can't do it anymore? Or that they book him to be this unbelievable terror that can't ever do anything more than 30 seconds? It's It just, I, it, it makes me sad. I think he got serious, legitimately hurt while he was in, in, uh, an MMA fighter. Yeah, though. that's true. Um, He's, I mean, yeah. He's also seemed to have gotten larger, and with yeah. that getting bigger, I, again, not an expert, but it seems like he's lost a fair amount of athleticism. You know, I don't know that yeah. he. Also, it's seventeen years, but I don't know that he can move that way anymore, just because he's so much mm-hmm. bigger. You know, physically larger, yeah. you can't necessarily do the same things with your body when you're more, you know, thinner or sinewy than he is now. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, true as well. And yeah, no, didn't he have some some like pretty serious surgeries from 
injuries from his MMA career. Oh, he's got a lot uh, of things that are going yeah. on physically. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Brock back then, wow. Um, <laughs> wow, was he dominant. Um, uh, apparently, neither of these guys watched wrestling growing up. Um it's true it's true it's damn it's true, true. <laughs> yeah kurt because it was phony and he was a real wrestler um and brock because he grew up on a farm and did not have a television huh. um yeah so i love that that they end wrestlemania with two guys that did not grow up dreaming of headlining wrestlemania <laughs> <laughs> and if, if you think of the fact that that did end wrestlemania Oh, yeah. You have four matches that legitimately any one of them could have ended WrestleMania. And that was the one that did. And when Brock botched the spot, that became what that WrestleMania was known for. Exactly. Um, Yeah, I was like I said, I had not watched this one since it aired. Uh, So when doing you know, the research for this week's show, I was wondering about that. Going, Why haven't I watched this? Um, what led me to it was reading a thing that like, um, Michaels and Jericho was worth, worth watching, mm. which it really is. Um, but I, um, right. So just in Googling it and going, Oh, right. This is the one where Brock almost kills himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> That uh, that did not help. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's our show. We then get the final video package, which I wish they still did this, where they show you the video package of everything you just saw. <laughs> now, um, now what, uh, I'll I'll take you uh, behind the scenes uh, to let you know that you know this was the early days of nonlinear editing, um, right? Where you had to uh, to feed the tapes in real time to be able to do this kind of stuff, sure, um, which makes that particular piece remarkable. Uh, yeah. There is a uh, there is a um, there is a machine called an Elvis. It's uh, an EVS machine, and those are what replays are done. They're pretty much the replay standard across all the different. Uh, all the different uh, CBS, NBC, NFL, it's its the industry standard. And right. there are ways you can set up playlists in it, but you can't really uh, keep the time to music, and you have to pretty much put that through an editing system. So the way those are done is you are literally um, editing that thing the entire show, and you are cramming the last few shots in it, at the very end, which means that the the last five shots that you saw that hit on the boom, 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 they waited till the very last minute to stick those yeah. in. Uh, yeah. And it's uh, it's a testament to their videotape team and a testament to their mm-hmm. editors because those are the kind of things that I used to love doing and I, I specialized in, but not in uh, live event programming. It was always right. in, in post-production. Mm-hmm. So kudos to those yeah. guys. And I very rarely have bad things to say about anything involving the production of WWE, with the exception of the guy who did the T-shirt cannons and the confetti cannons on this particular <laughs> one, because he didn't do a good job. No, no, yeah, as, as we were saying before, the production is really what's always set WWE apart. Um, you know, even when 
WCW was beating WWE in the ratings consistently and they were, you know, making something like legitimately $50 million a year for Turner. They still weren't. And they had Turner at their disposal. Their production still didn't look great. Um, so WWE, you know, like WWE's production even then looked better. I'd um, say the years of Nitro and and when, oh God, am I saying this? When Bushoff took over, <laughs> their production went up pretty well. But it, it was went a, it up. Was, yeah, it was a different you know. style of production. Yeah. Uh, and you know, AEW has a lot of the old Turner folks now, and again, it's a different style of production. Uh, yeah. Vince has the Hollywood part down pat. Right. Uh, no, I like I yeah. like AEW's production. Oh, I do too. I mean, TNA's is always or Impacts or whatever they're called now. It's always looked weird. Um, the one, the only and, uh, sidebar, the only thing that drives me nuts about the AEW production is when they use a DSLR camera to shoot uh, interviews and then say we're going backstage live because you can tell it's not live. Uh-huh. <laughs> I always liked how uh, Lucha Underground would switch between like the 16 millimeter or whatever that was yeah. to do angles and then video to do a uh, story like, yeah, angles were on film and then matches were on video. I miss that. Show. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we ought to do a show on one of the, on one of the, uh, oh, uh, one of yeah. the, the season finales. <laughs> yes. That would be fun. Yes. That would be fun. And it's on free television now. It's on, uh, it's on the Tubi app. Now, oh, cool. So anybody that wants to watch it can watch it. They have to sit yeah. through commercials, but the, anybody who wants to watch it can watch it. Watch Lucha Underground. Um, okay, so that is our show. Tim, what did we learn about wrestling this week? Uh, well, for me, I learned that uh, WWE seems to be sort of stuck in the past. And currently, um, everybody <laughs> who, almost everybody who appeared uh, on this WrestleMania has appeared in recent events in WWE and they're all 17 years older. Um, So (laughs) that's not great. Um, Including Hulk Hogan, who, I mean, he's got to, he's, is he in his seventies at this point or is it just late sixties? I believe he is. Yeah. I believe he's. So, you know, I'm, I'm all for, you know, people getting long, healthy careers, but a wrestling's not that healthy a career and B uh, (laughs) it just feels like, I'm sorry. Hulk Hogan is 66. 66, okay. Uh, so it just really does feel like they haven't really... That they keep pulling from the same bag. And I don't know if that's fair or not, but yeah. I was struck by the fact that I knew almost everybody from now, back then as well, seemed not great for the growth of the sport or the sports entertainment, if you will. Um, <laughs> uh, but in some ways it still has evolved. You know, I... Uh, it uh the you know the women's wrestling piece we talked about the fact that that's gotten much better um yeah and you know one of the things i've always struggled with is my interest in the actual matches uh and these they had like two or three that were were compelling and were you know 15 20 minutes long and that hasn't really been my experience watching them today uh, you know, like modern pay-per-views. So I was impressed at it from that standpoint. You know, it's been a while since I've seen yeah. a match that went for a while that I could keep my attention. And they had, like I said, two yeah. or three in this one pay-per-view alone. Okay. I'm going to do something 
I'm going to be fair to WWE for a moment. <gasps> they are building new stars. Okay. Um, the problem is they're not advertising new stars. Hmm. Because WWE is never going to pull in the ratings that they pulled from, like, 1997 to 2004 ever again. Well... N- and... So so they keep advertising people that were popular at that time in the hopes that people will just watch it again. Right. Um, the yeah. problem with that is nobody's pulling in ratings like they did 17 years ago. Exactly. And it's, I mean, exactly. it might be partly the product, but it's also just the fact that there's so many other options, you know, network, t- you, you know, cable sure. televisions, subscribers are down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. it, you're chasing a ghost that you can't mm-hmm. catch if you're just thinking, well, people like The Rock or, uh, you know, that sort of thing. I, I really think that's what it is, though. That um, makes sense. And, yeah, I mean, they have... They they are keeping up with the times. The fact that they have this vast video library that they said, oh, we can offer this as streaming because wrestling fans will buy mm-hmm. it. I mean, I give them my $10 a month. Um, <clears throat> you know, which... Don't they do the same thing in comics? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like digital comics libraries. Yep. Every yeah. Um, um, Marvel has one. DC yeah. has one now. They also incorporate their TV shows into it. So yeah, it's it's definitely a reality. Uh, yeah. uh, everybody's trying to adapt to our increasingly digital streaming world. Yeah, I think anybody that has a niche product, it's very easy to you know um, to do something like right. that because you just have to find the price point that people are willing to pay. To have all of the content, and, um, and to but, be, uh, but I, I go. Uh, please go ahead. To be fair, yes. to be fair, from you know, fair. judging it from a comic standpoint too, there's a lot in comics that's chasing the old ghosts too. You know, we're gonna, yeah. we're gonna roll out eight different X Men books because X Men used to be the highest selling book and things like that. So, right. you know, yeah. a lot of us are stuck in recursive loops of trying to pick over the old bones, hoping that we can raise uh, enthusiasm again. But let's bring this to the ultimate analogy here, Tim, and I think you'll be able to speak to this when it all is said and done. If Stan Lee had creative control of every single element of every single Marvel movie that was put out, and if he disagreed with you, he'd do it his way anyway and not listen to anybody else how good would Marvel be right now? And that's the Vince exactly. man in the room, I'm guessing. <laughs> yes. That is, that is Vince, yes. And, okay, I, I'm not Vince McMahon's doctor. I'm not a neurologist. But according to all reports from people who admittedly may have issues and may need to further these rumors... I mean, the fact is, he is a, what, 75-year-old, you know, person who's been abusing steroids for years, uh, who apparently does nothing other than work out and watch WWE programming. He might not have the best context for what people might want to see. Right, I mean, you're... Um... And I go back to the note, I go back to the note earlier. An unprotected chair shot from Hulk (laughs) Hogan... (laughs) Yes. Uh, well, your average seventy-five-year-old in general isn't as productive as they were, you know, earlier in their right. life. And then you add in the fact that you're trying to compete in uh, pop culture, which is always changing. How many yeah. 
But the thing is, he is still just as productive. He still travels with the show. I meant productive as in, like, creatively meeting where people are right now. Like, beyond Martin Scorsese, how many septuagenarians do you know that seem to be in the zeitgeist still? (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, that's that's absolutely true. Um, Um... but yeah, and I think that's part of the issue is that he still does have final creative control over everything, and which is how you get things like uh, the raw general manager from a few years ago. Mm. Because uh, you know we talked about the fact that we're bringing back all these these old wrestlers, and and they're the ones you mm-hmm. see. I would say arguably one of the most talented wrestlers in the world today is Ricochet, and to see oh, yeah. him being buried by Vince McMahon right now hurts my heart first of all second of all it just shows that and um i won't get political in this but there is a a certain my way or the highway routine that he shares Mm -hmm. that is just created the impossibility for new ideas to ever come to the front yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah and, and you can right. see those well, echoes in, in this WrestleMania, too, with things like Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio loses. That feels a piece with... Because Ricochet, from what I understand, is a very similar wrestler, like a high flyer, mm-hmm. a guy who yeah. who has a lot of moves, who moves quick. Um, and, again, this is probably entirely unscientific, mm-hmm. unscientific, but Vince seems to like big dudes. Like, that seems to be his thing. Like, yes. big, threatening, you know, really muscular, even for the time, guys. And I don't necessarily think his vision includes people who are fast and smaller and things like that. At least not in that way. Um, that's absolutely... Um, there has been a theory. I think there are a number of factors. But there has been a theory that the reason the steroid uh, usage exploded so much with uh, wrestling in the 80s had a lot to do with people wanting to keep their jobs. Mm. Um, and that Vince needed to see them look huge. I'm not, I mean, wrestling, uh, uh, steroids also exploded across all sports. Right. Um, a lot of that had to do with availability, with legality. Um, there was a, there was a number of factors there, but, uh, and there have been wrestlers that have gone on record saying I took steroids to keep my job. Right. And you can create that situation without actually creating that situation. Like he may have never gone down to them and said, I require all my wrestlers to be this large. But if you pay any attention to what's going on, you can see like, Oh, Mm -hmm. that guy got bigger and suddenly Vince seems to like him more. Or, you know, this guy is small and thin and he never gets anything. So there's not actually like an explicit order to get big, but you start to notice and think like, well, I should play the game too. Sure. And one yeah. thing I will uh, pass on to Max to put on our Twitter account, which is now okay. live and active, and uh, we'd love for you to follow us, uh, is I will put a link to m- one of my favorite wrestling uh, matches of the last 10 years, and that is Will Ospreay versus Ricochet in New Japan. Oh, that's a great match. Which I consider ballet in in it's it's a yes. piece of art. So we'll yes. we'll link that to our Twitter and maybe we'll have we'll do a mini episode just talking about that one match because that <laughs> that is an amazing match to watch yes. and break down move by move. Yes. Okay. Um, all right, Tim. Before we go, can you please put over your work? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Ungaje, which is U N G A J J E, 
And uh, as you mentioned, there's comics first. I also do writing over at thespool.net, which is a film and television website. Uh, And I am doing social media for them as well. So we'd love your support if you follow us at The Spool or just check out the website itself. And uh, I have to... uh... That's reminding me I have to reach out to Gina Radcliffe because like a year ago she said she'd do this Oh, show. great. <laughs> yeah, Gina that. is, uh, <laughs> like she's weeks. the assistant editor over there and there's a lot of uh, very talented people who aren't me. So uh, we'd really appreciate you coming by and checking it out. And otherwise, you know, feel free to follow me on Twitter and say hi. But most of all, have you enjoyed yourself today? It's been a pleasure, guys. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for doing oh, it. Oh, not a problem. And we are on the Twitter follow us there we're getting the patreon up soon we are now on itunes and i believe we're on google play as of this week um so no reason not to find us and uh all right until next time keep it kayfabe bye bye <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy. Uh,